Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. We're back from a seven-month hiatus. We've been in quarantine, but a lot has changed in that time frame. We'll catch up on that. Most importantly, we're previewing the 2020 Hokies football season. As we sit here today, it's August, what is it, 27th, 26th? Looks like we are still set to have one, which is simply a miracle. We'll go position by position and uh, look through one of the more unpredictable schedules in college football history. We'll discuss some of the happenings around the NCAA, eligibility, etc. A lot of moving pieces to keep up with. But first, Tim, welcome back. Hey, man. I appreciate it. It feels good to be back on the microphone talking Hokies football, uh, ACC football. Man, it just, you know, it's been a long time. But I think given everything that's been going on, I, this year has just absolutely flown by, man. It's uh, It's been a strange year. I mean... It and and you know that for time to stand still and feel slow, like you would have felt like twenty twenty was the year, but like you said, it just feels like time is is blowing by somehow. I don't I don't really understand it, but you know, outside of the uh, the quarantine life, how how's life in general? How's that back doing? Good, yeah, the back's healing up nice. Um, I go in for my final post op appointment on my birthday, October eighth. So. Um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I still, I'm on restrictions on what I can lift. Um, so I'm not able to help around the house as much. as I think my wife would like me to, but, uh, you know, we're working towards getting at full strength and, you know, she'll be happy when I'm finally there. Um, You're working I'll be happy. The, uh, the salt shaker, right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, when you're sitting there in the grocery store with your wife and she's the one loading the conveyor belt, loading the car and you're not helping, uh, you feel like a real ass. So I'm looking yeah, forward to getting yeah. on the back end of this thing. I, um, you know, I, I remember when Sammy Sosa went on the DL for sneezing and like throwing out his back and I thought <laughs> that was the weakest DL stint I'd ever heard of. But now oh, yeah. every time I sneeze, I'm oh, afraid man. my back's going to go out. Yeah. I and mean, well, you're rolling the dice every time you sneeze, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I had a, I think I, I sneezed, this is about two years ago and I blew my neck out for a couple of days and that was just from one sneeze. Um, so, you know, anything can happen. It's, it's so touch and go, you know, I'm sitting here in my early thirties getting back surgery and, um, you know, you, as a kid, you never thought you would be here. And then you hit your late twenties and aging happens fast, man. Yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, so, I mean, when we were trying to figure out how to get everything working again, because it's been a while. January 23rd was the last date we spoke to each other on Skype. Yeah, long time. It's crazy. Sure and, is. And uh, so now you're uh, a new father. Um, how, how's that going, by the way? Because I've got baby number two coming very soon. It's awesome, man. It's, uh, it's a lot less, I think, shocking. After you have the first kid, you get into the second kid, and then it's, um, you know, you, you kind of feel like you've been there. Uh, the, the second girl, uh, Olivia, uh, actually crawled today for the first time so it's you know that's an exciting milestone and uh you know it's just once you have one kid life's already hectic enough hell you know go the whole go the philip rivers route have a whole intramural football team worth yeah, of kids just have just, a whole squad but what's what could go wrong i mean one is a lot i feel like maybe six you got three to watch the other three and you know eventually some of that work goes from your shoulders to the kids shoulders if you got a big yard you know that maybe you want you know maybe you want to have four or five uh, you could knock out that yard work a little quicker 
Um, I don't know. You know, it, it really is though. It's it's much easier than I think I anticipated it being because of the first kid. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I've I've heard uh, <clears throat> I've heard that the second one to two is is the most difficult for people really? that have had more than two kids, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I'll find out soon enough. But uh, yeah, I mean, the last time we did this, Tim, I was in Chicago. I'm in Nashville now. So yep. shout out to all my Nashville Hokies. There you go. Uh, you know, reach out. Let me let me know what's up, what's going on, you know, where to be when we're allowed to, to go out in public again. But yeah, man, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year. I can't uh, emphasize that enough. And it got me kind of thinking about some of the best and worst things about quarantine. And to be honest, <laughs> you know, going back into like pre-COVID life, you know, there's going to be some things that are pretty difficult, like going back into the office on a regular basis. Yeah. I haven't been in an office since the middle of March. For sure. So that's no commute, you know, don't have to, you know, leave crack of dawn, you know, get your kid ready for daycare, you know, go to work, drive, get through traffic. I'm not going to miss that at all. No, you know, it, no. that's going to be that's going to be tough. But I, I got to tell you, one of the worst things about quarantine for me, and I want to see if it's been as bad for you, is the never ending dishwasher cycle. Yeah, you know what? This back thing has taken me. I, I didn't do a whole lot of the dishwasher nonsense before. Um, you know, I, I, I certainly could have pitched in more than I had. But this back thing took me off dishwasher duty completely. Completely. Dude, I feel like I'm unloading dishes like literally 28 times a week. It's yeah. like two cycles a day. Ugh. It's it, it's infuriating. Yeah. yeah, dishwasher and the grocery bill. The grocery bill has been out of control. And so, yeah, I noticed that. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I've been home with the back thing uh, away from the office because of the quarantining that I've noticed. Um, but, you know, my wife goes to the store all the time for groceries. And, you know, I think part of that is because for whatever reason, uh, everybody in quarantine are just eating like hell. And, you know, I'm certainly guilty of that as well. You know, there's the grocery bill. And then my Amazon shopping, which is already a pain, uh, has increased tenfold. Um, you know, I've, yeah. I've got a bag of Australian licorice and spicy dill pickle almonds coming tomorrow. If you want to know how deep in that rabbit hole I've gone. Uh, so I, I, man, I need to get back in the office and do something with my time other than create purchases for Amazon for myself because I can't stop. I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've tried not to hit that train. You know, I, I, it seems like we're spending a, uh, crazy amount of money on like sodas and flavored waters and things of that nature. But, oh yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's part of the game, I guess, you know, it's part of part of living and working at home it's you're gonna have a higher grocery bill but i gotta tell you tim the fact that we're even talking about having a football season is uh is crazy uh, i still honestly i'm not sure if it's going to happen you know virginia tech acc big 12 sec are obviously planning to move forward um out of the power five and you know, of the Hokies, they open up the season against NC State, and word out of uh, Raleigh is that there is, you know, a COVID, you know, I don't know if bug is the right term, but uh, there is a cluster of COVID-19 cases in the athletic department, so they've shut down athletics there temporarily, and now they're talking about potentially moving 
the opener against Virginia Tech to the open week of September 26th. So, sure. you know, there goes a week of uh, freedom in that, that schedule as well. So, you know, things are already starting to look a little shaky. I think we're about, you know, this is dropping on Wednesday, 17-ish days from from kickoff. Um, so there's a there's a really realistic chance that uh, Virginia Tech opens the season against UVA. Uh, which which would make for uh, some entertainment, but yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, it's one of the many hurdles that I think are going to come this way. And as kids are back at school, and uh, you know, if you pay attention to Twitter or the news, you know, you've seen you know photos of parties and things like that. There's a number of schools that are going to virtual, which I think is best case scenario possible for football to actually happen at the collegiate level. Absolutely, um, because then you're literally creating that football bubble. And I think if you look around in sports that have done it right, the NBA, the NHL, they've had literally next to no hiccups with the bubbles that they created, which is not realistic to do at the college level. No. Uh, Baseball's had a few hiccups, but seems like they're getting through it. And there's a lot more flexibility in their schedule um, because, you know, they play every day with football. That's that's what I'm worried about most is the schedule flexibility. There's obviously some time uh, built into the back end in December uh, between the final game and then the you know suggested date for the championship game if we get to that point. But otherwise, you know, if if there's a team or two that are ill or can't go for a week or two at a time, it's going to wreak havoc on these schedules. So. You know, unfortunate that uh, that NC State's going through that right now. Hopefully, it's uh, it's a small little cluster, and they can kind of get it under control and get back to normal. But yeah, Tim, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's one of the many many hurdles I think we're gonna have to overcome to to get college football going again. Yeah, there's gonna be plenty of hurdles, and you know, this sort of thing is gonna continue to pop up. Obviously, if we are to get a season completed. Um, you know, there's going to be more than one cluster. I think Oklahoma, if I, if I read a tweet right, is dealing yeah. with an entire position group um, that's decimated from COVID right now. So, you know, it's the nature of the virus, I think, from what I can understand best. And again, I'm no doctor, but it seems highly contagious. So these guys in close quarters, um, you know, especially in dorm type situations, athletic dorms, you're going to see some flare ups and hopefully uh, the abundance of caution that's being exercised, obviously, NC State's uh, a good thing to point out because, you know, they've stopped all activities. Hopefully, that is a good way uh, to limit the spread um, and get it back under control. And, you know, if you're NC State, I think, obviously, this has not been announced, but I don't see how you even begin to talk about having that first game because um, they're going to, I assume, uh, not be able to have practice for quite a while here. Um, and it, it wouldn't be in the player's interest or in their best interest to have a football game off of, you know, a week potentially with no practice, um, you know, and, and if that's the case, delaying the first game makes sense. And, you know, so be it if it you know means that we can have the, the game at a later date in September and, and keep everybody a little bit healthier. But, you know, it, this is NC State now, but, you know, I, I would say probably a third of the teams that are going to be playing college football are going to be dealing with similar situations. Um, you know, but then there are flip sides to this token. Some programs are doing extremely well, even better than I thought they would with this uh, new COVID season that we're dealing with. Um, you know, Boston College, especially, tons of negative tests. 
Um, you know, some teams seem to be isolating well for whatever reason. And, you know, it, it's really out of control, I think, when it comes to teams like NC State. Um, you know, all it takes is, I guess, one person to get ill and then you've got a real problem. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the case, you know, with any illness that goes through a locker room. Like, typically, if one guy gets the flu, the whole slew of guys get the flu. And I'm right. not comparing COVID-19 to the flu here, but it's it's a virus, right? So if it's in the locker room, more than one person is likely going to get it. So something to watch. Uh, hopefully it, uh, you know, hopefully they get it under control. You know, one thing before we jump into the uh, Virginia Tech preview here, Tim, is I wanted to hit on the eligibility requirements that uh, the NCAA has outlined. It's a little bit murky for me, so maybe you can uh, help clear it up here. But, you know, they they have said that they are extending to all athletes that play in the fall an additional year of eligibility. So uh, they did this back in the spring for fall sports or for spring sports that did not complete, uh, you know, their seasons. And, you know, they leave it to the school's discretion to have the option to accommodate this waiver. So meaning picking up the scholarship. Essentially, what's going to happen is, you know, college football has a roster size of 85. It's been that way since 1992. You know, it. It had expanded. Uh, it had been cut down to you know the 90s before that, and you know back in the 70s we were over 100 people, about 20 more people per football roster. That's essentially what's going to happen. Is basically seniors are going to turn into members of the football team, but they're not going to count towards that 85 roster. So there's going to be 85 people on the team, and then there's going to be the seniors or these people that have been granted the extra year of eligibility so it's going to be interesting to see what happens what i'm a little fuzzy on is we've only talked about that extending into next season but everybody's getting this additional year so you've got freshmen sophomore junior senior so that's what's what's happening in 22 23 24 25 you know i think short-term fix it's definitely good I don't think guys should have to give up a year of eligibility for this year especially people that are playing in the Big Ten or the the Pac-12 but from a school standpoint I think we're going to see the transfer portal go crazy Um, and again I don't I don't know if that gives you the opportunity to transfer I would assume it would Um, and I also think you're going to see schools pull a lot of scholarships from these seniors that may not otherwise be contributors. So again, they don't have to agree to give these guys scholarships. You know, they might be able to be there as a walk-on. I don't know how that would work, but just going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. And, you know, the one thing that I thought about instantly is, you know, Virginia Tech last year had a pretty bad recruiting class. This could help mitigate that it could cover up an inefficiency in your program for a short period of time. So that's one positive way to look at it. Um, But I think with the uncertain economics of college football today, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out over the next four to five years and how schools are able to kind of manage through the expense of it. I think on the field, it's going to be beneficial. I think in the back end, the finances, I think that's where it's going to really start to kind of grip these athletic departments. And it's not just football we're talking about here. It's fall sports yeah, and spring sports as well. So I don't know what your, uh, what your thoughts are on this. 
No, I mean, you know, I totally agree with everything that you said. And I I think the ripple effect on everything is going to be interesting from the rosters, the eligibility to the finances, um, you know, because in most cases, these aren't just year, you know, a year and a fix. You know, once once COVID is gone, the impact and the lasting impact, especially when it comes to a missing football season, additional years of eligibility, um, you know, those those are going to ripple effect and butterfly effect into, you know, a long ways into the future. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how everyone deals with these challenges, you know, especially those teams that aren't able to play football this fall. I mean, that's going to be a huge hit. How, how are the communities going to rebound? I mean, there's so many questions around this stuff that it's going to be interesting to see it play out, but I mean, it's just really, really unfortunate, really unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've been watching baseball since it came back on and, you know, I'm a fan of the lifelong fan of the Orioles. Seeing no fans at Camden Yards, really not much of a change for me, to be honest. No doubt. No doubt. Now, watching the Cubs, you know, it's weird. It's this, like, eerie, like, Wrigley Field's not supposed to be empty. And I think with college football, it's going to feel weird for a lot of the season. I think, you know, I feel like the NBA has done a, a pretty good job of you know, eliminating that empty stadium feel. It feels almost like a video game that you're watching. Right. Um, and NHL to an extent, um, but, you know, not the same way as the NBA. It, it, with college football, it's just going to be hard. It's just going to be weird to see guys playing in empty stadiums, but I'm all for it. You know, I, I think I think that's what we have to do as a society, and the fact that we're even talking about football is, is unbelievable with, you know, how this uh, – pandemic has been handled in the United States, but uh, let's not get off on that tangent for now. Let's jump into Virginia Tech football, Tim. Yeah, let's do it, man. So we're going to hit on the ACC next week overall, but you know we are predominantly focused on Virginia Tech here, so let's, uh, let's give you the full preview that they deserve and you know, for Tim, for me, there's really three things that I am most looking forward to seeing. Uh, one, from a concern standpoint, and two, just from an interest standpoint. So, number one, new defensive coordinator and pretty much defensive staff. You oh, know, yeah. What is that going to look like on the football field? For the most part, <clears throat> you know, other than the obvious uh, departure of Caleb Farley, you know, a lot of the key pieces are back in the defense from last year. You know, guys are a year older. We've had some nice, uh, you know, transfers come in. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That's going to be one thing I'm looking for. The Jerry Kill effect. <laughs> you know, I feel like this is something that we, we haven't talked about enough. And, you know, if you remember back to last year, uh, last September, to be exact, that was uh, some of the worst football I've ever seen Virginia Tech play with my Indeed. own eyes. And in comes Jerry Kill, and, you know, it took a week or two, but he really, from the time that he was there to the end of the year, it really started to seem like, you know, the ship started to be righted. Part of that was Hendon Hooker was put in at quarterback. Now, was that a Jerry Kill decision? I don't know, but interesting timing on that nonetheless, and I I do think the two did correlate a little bit. Uh, The other thing uh, that I'm kind of more concerned about is the lack of depth at offensive skill positions you know wide receiver and you know relative unknown commodities are running back here so I think with receiver you know you've got Trey Turner Tavion Robinson and then you've got 
a bunch of other guys that could surface and come up to the to the surface, but you know, there's no Damon Hazelton anymore. You know, Hezekiah Grimsley has moved on. You know, so it's it's there for the taking. I just don't know who's going to come up and take it. And then yeah. at running back, you know, with with the running back situation in Blacksburg, it, it's it's been kind of uh, a frustrating pain point of this offense uh, really since uh, Fuente arrived, and really even a little bit before he came. Um, but what what's going to go on with that group? There are a lot of running backs on this roster. Yeah. Um, you know, a number of transfers um, that you know are expected to you know, kind of chip in. Uh, is it going to be a running back by committee again? Is Keyshawn King going to surface? He's going to redshirt. It sounds like he's going to be a kick returner. Um, you know, again, that, I don't think a redshirt even matters this year, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter. But I think, um, you know, those are those are the two biggest concerns I have from an offensive standpoint, and then just from a health standpoint. You know, it's not just injuries we're worried about this year; it's COVID nineteen. So, right. Um, you know, those are those are some of the things that I am uh, watching for for 2020. What do you've got on the radar? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're gonna I think agree that the biggest thing to me is going to be you know the defensive coaching and how the defense looks after you know Bud Foster is gone now. Um, is Hamilton gonna step up and take the reins? I think he will. I you know, I'm super high on Hamilton um, in his abilities, but it, it's gonna be interesting to see what departures we make from our past defensive style to our current defensive style. Um, you know, what will the lunch pail defense look like or not lunch pail defense, however we're deciding to refer to it. Um, what changes will they make? Because obviously we did a lot of things extremely well on defense. Um, and over the years, I think we all saw deficiencies in the defense as well. Um, you know, last year, defensive mishaps kind of led to a souring of the season. Um, after Hendon Hooker took over, righted the ship, offense seemed to be at least finding a groove. Um, are we going to see improvements in, in the first year under a new defensive coordinator? Um, you hope so, because this, this is the year. This is a big year for Virginia Tech from a talent standpoint. All the stars seem to be lining up. Um, you know, there is a lot of experience on both sides of the ball. This is the year you want to make a splash. Um, and if there is any regression on the defensive side, again, I don't you know, expect any. Um, but if there is regression, that's going to be a huge deal in, in kind of like a show-me-what-you-got year for Justin Fuente. Um, so defensive coordinator, that, that's the biggest one to me. I think you hit the nail on the head because I think there are a lot of kind of unknowns on the offensive side of the ball, whether you consider Khalil Herbert an unknown or not. I personally don't. I think, you know, obviously looking at him passes the eye test. His statistics at Kansas kind of lend us to believe that he's going to be super effective out of the backfield. Um, you know, whether or not you think that they're unknowns, they haven't done it in a hokey jersey, totally agreed. Um, you know, wide receiver depth obviously took a little hit from, you know, the, the transfers, um, you know, but specifically pointing out, you know, one guy, I think a couple of late pulls that we've gotten um, in the transfer market from the FCS level have been huge, uh, specifically at wide receiver, as you mentioned, you know, we've got Changa Hodge coming in, um, kind of kind of big bodied at 6'1", almost 200 pounds. Um, but, you know, you go back and look at his highlight tape at Villanova and wow, that guy is talented. Um, you know, I think he's going to be able to bring a lot of what Hazleton brought to the team, um, playmaking, you know, and, and he's a guy that I think, you know, you can move around all over, whether you line him up in the slot, he's got that ability played out wide a lot. Um, you know, he was, he was their man on jet sweeps, which I know Courtney is going to love. Um, but it'll be good to see how everyone kind of settles in. Obviously we've got a good mix of known quantities 
in those playmakers and a good mix of also unknowns um, with high ceilings, which I think is, is good. Um, and if the NCAA does what they should in, in, in our Rutgers transfer and Blackshear and go ahead and approve them to play, um, our depth will be looking okay. I am excited to see, especially Khalil Herbert. I think, you know, he's got a guy, you got a guy there that could be that workhorse thousand yard back that we so badly want to see at Virginia Tech again. Um, and if we can continue with this sort of not conservative, but it is, I mean, I, I, I see our offense as a little conservative. And we have a great game manager in Hennon Hooker, a guy that can make the plays downfield, but only threw two interceptions last year, both in the last game against UVA. He's a guy that's not going to make a lot of mistakes. If you can pair a good, strong running game with him, as we saw last year, it, it continued to get stronger and stronger. Um, look out. That, that offense could really, really make some noise if we can get one of the guys in the backfield to step up. It feels like, too, that's what they're trying to build here. A power right. run football team, which, you know, maybe power run's not the right term, but a run first, a, a run minded offense. And, you know, I think, you know, thinking back to the Notre Dame game last year with Quincy Patterson making his first start, you know, through the air, ineffective. But Virginia Tech was leading with 21 seconds left in that game and easily could have won the game. Right. Um, and, and what did they do? They leaned on the run game. You know, they found ways to make plays, and that's really what I'm kind of looking for from the offense this year. You know, I think if we take a quick look at the quarterbacks here, you know, they typically say if you've got two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I don't think that's the case here. You know, uh, ask Oklahoma. That hasn't been the case. Not comparing our guys to Oklahoma, but, right. um, you know, Hendon Hooker, you know, four-star recruit. Braxton Burmeister, four-star. Quincy Patterson, four-star. They all bring a different skill set. Hendon has shown that, you know, he can play to a high level. Uh, he is more than capable of managing a game. He can go out there and make plays with both his arm and his legs. Uh, you know, that's something that we weren't sure we had going into last season. Um, and until we saw, saw Hendon Hooker on the field, like, we, we had no idea what to expect out of Hendon Hooker. Uh, word on the street is that Braxton is better than Hendon Hooker, you know, depending on who you ask in what circle, you know. Easy to say that he hasn't, you know, been on the field for an extended period of time. You know, I think that's going to be a tough ask to come in and beat Hendon Hooker for the starting position right away. And then Quincy is is really kind of more for me. I'm not sure if we're ever going to see Quincy be the full time starting quarterback at Virginia Tech. To be quite honest with you, um, I hope we do. You know, w you know, one or two years. But he he to me is more of a a package quarterback, and I hope we see some creativity this year and we're able to get Quincy Patterson on the field because he can make plays uh, with his arm, but mostly his legs. And I mean, I think when we talk about the receiver group a little bit and even guys like, you know, our running backs like Raheem Blackshear, if he's granted eligibility to play, which in 2020, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but it's the NCAA. So you can't, you can't rationalize with them, you know, to me, if anybody remembers the Greg Boone era at Virginia Tech and the Wild Turkey, the Wildcat, Wild Turkey, Blacksburg, right. get it? Yeah, gotta love it. it. This is the perfect. I mean, we've got the quarterback to run that formation. You know, it, it's it's Quincy Patterson. You put a guy like Jaden Payal on the field, a Raheem Blackshear, even a Keyshawn King. You know, Trey Turner is more than capable enough of running a package like this. Like, you could have a very exciting package that you're running out there on offense that can kind of keep defense on their toes a little bit. So, 
you know, for me, I, I'm looking for Hendon Hooker to be the starter. You know, one thing that, you know, was a concern last year was durability at times. Uh, so we'll see how, how that manages through. Um, and it, it's it's really one of those one of those positional groups, Tim, where you got to have eyes in the back of your head because that next guy is gunning for your job and it feels like he's more than capable enough to come in and, you know, not take his foot off the gas. So we'll see if that happens. I think, you know, depending on how the season shapes out, you know, we could be talking about a different starting quarterback at the end of the year as not a negative. Um, so, you know, we'll certainly see what happens, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty high on this quarterback group. You know, if you want to be critical of Fuente in certain areas, you know, there's certainly, certainly reasons to do so. But one thing you can say about him is he, he brings in guys at, in the quarterback position. And, you know, we've got three guys that I think could make a difference on the field for us this year. Oh yeah, no doubt. You know, when you, when you talk about quarterbacks, um, you know, we're in a great situation where if we did have any sort of issues with injury, um, attrition later on, we're in a good spot right now. I think we have three quarterbacks that could get the job done for Virginia Tech at varying degrees. I think, as you said, Quincy's more of a package quarterback at the moment. I think the ceiling for, for Quincy is quite high as his uh, you know prowess with throwing the ball continues to improve. Um, but, the, you know, the guy's got a real talent, you know, physically gifted, um, and can run the ball extremely well too. Great vision. You know, you'd love to see us get packages for Quincy, as you mentioned, on the field, maybe to get a little more dynamic um, in, in true packages, not not packages where you line up Quincy to run the ball a la Greg Boone, but um, give him opportunities to throw the ball at well to keep the defense on their hips or on their hips on their heels. Um, you know, you hope that you see that. Braxton, I think, you know, what can you expect from him? Well, you know, it's it's all reading practice reports and things like that. But he seems to be at a, playing at a high level right now. Um, I don't think there's any question this is Hendon Hooker's team. But as you said, maybe some eyes in the back of the head. You know, if you have two guys like Braxton and Hendon com- continually pushing each other, iron sharpens iron. That can only be a good thing as we move forward. But um, you know, again, I don't want to call it hype, but a lot of talk about, you know, Braxton and what he's doing in practice again this year. Um, you know, you, you potentially have three playmakers back there and, and that's a good problem to have. So moving on to the running backs, which, you know, we've hit on a little bit here. So Khalil Herbert seems to get, you know, a lot of hype and, you know, I don't dislike Khalil Herbert as a player. Uh, I, I'm just I'm not sure that I'm as high on him as everybody else is. You know, his his numbers don't jump off the page to me. Um, you know, from his time at Kansas, um, you know he he's just one of those guys who I think will come in and you know be able to make plays. I don't see him as the bell cow back that you know this offense might be looking for. Be able to plug in, um, Keyshawn King. I'm expecting him to hold on to the ball a little bit better this year you know hopefully he's bulked up but from what I can tell he looks you know roughly about the same as he did last year um but the guy that I'm personally most excited about is Marco Lee oh yeah this guy top rated Juco back in the country you know I don't have his size right in front of me but the dude's a bowling ball I think he's like 5'11 230 or something you know just an absolute tank um 
and you know he's somebody I'm excited to see on the football field again I don't know if he's an every down guy but you know I personally like to have those bangers in the backfield that you know if you need that yard you know everybody knows who's getting the ball and you can't do anything to stop it so um, you know there's certainly guys like Jalen Holston who's now the first player to ever wear the number zero in uh, Virginia Tech uniform so you know Holston is a guy who has shown flashes but he just cannot stay healthy so it wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Holston if, if he can stay healthy and consistent on the field you know he could rise to the top it's a room where it's anybody's for taking I think if you add in Blackshear to that group he's certainly a plug-and-play guy again I don't think he's a every down back but no the good thing with the running back room is there's options here I just sometimes when you have too many options it's hard to really start to have somebody rise up because they're just not getting enough chances consistently and so that's that's been my frustration with running backs in the Fuente era is whenever you do think a guy is finally starting to get going it seems like the ball's taken away from them so yeah that's going to be interesting to watch uh in 2020 with this uh with this particular group yeah you're absolutely right um i'm high on marco lee too obviously you know pretty highly touted coming in from juco but if you talk about a guy who's the visage of an every down back uh it's marco lee and and in that regard i'm hopeful we get a bruiser some guy that we could give the ball to maybe 15 to 20 times a game um, you know, these aren't the, the old days or the Boston college days where you have a tailback that you hand the ball to 40 times, you know, a game, but you know, 15 to 20, I think that's pretty good when you consider who we have rotating in. Um, as you mentioned, I would love to see Khalil Herbert get more carries, uh, you know, based on what he was able to do in limited action with Kansas, um, you know, kind of had some big ball games over there rushing for nearly 200 yards, um, uh, most recently last year. And, and you'd like to see what he can do maybe with a little bit more, um, of the ball in his hands. But if you got guys like Khalil Herbert rotating in, who's a home run threat, you got hopefully Raheem Blackshear, who can move all around the field. Um, I don't know if you went back and looked at some plays from his, you know, his, his time with Rutgers, but extremely talented guy when it comes to catching the ball out of the backfield um, and kind of thinking about what they could do with him, lining him up in the slot, rotating him back to tailback. You know, that kind of versatility is so, so important. And if you could just have one feature back, one linchpin back to, to get the bulk of the carries and a banger like Marco Lee would be great. Also freeing up Kishon King, who seems, at least if reports are to be believed, that he's having a little trouble uh, with putting on weight that he really needs to be a feature back. Um, you know, giving him time back at kick returner potentially, giving him time. Uh, to rotate in for some, you know, some home run plays is always a good thing. But I still, we're still in search of that thousand yard back. I think it's important to have. Um, you know, it seems like nowadays in college football, and, and it's not just Fuente; it's everybody seems to rotate running backs like defensive linemen. Um, eventually, you'd like to see some guy kind of go and claim the role. And there's so many bodies, so much talent uh, in that backfield right now. I think we're in as good a spot as ever for kind of that cream to rise to the top and. Um, you know, maybe get a really, really, really effective ground game to go with what seems to be Justin Fuente's uh, desire for kind of a conservative offense that doesn't make mistakes, but puts itself in a position to win every ball game they're in. Yeah, I think the news of King 
becoming the kick returner is the lead candidate for kick returner. To me, that tells me he's probably not in the rotation as a top guy in no. the run game. No. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe he's just so dynamic back there, but, uh, that to me was kind of a signal, you know, we're gonna kind of table him in the run game for this year because we've got some other options that we like a little bit better. And, you know, he probably needs to change this and this about his game. So we'll certainly, um, we'll see what happens there, but wouldn't be surprised to see one of the veterans kind of rise to the top and become the favorite, um let's move over to wide receiver so we talked a little bit you know it's trey turner and tavion robinson those are going to be the the top dogs and you know turner what is he now junior i i I get i get his years mixed up but it seems like he's been in blacksburg for a long time yeah Um, he's got that hunter renfro about him yeah so (laughs) you know i I, i'm really expecting him to kind of rise to the top and have a big season i think um you know, wide receiver is one of those positions where you come in as a freshman and it's a hard position to make an impact on. Um, and so, you know, he's had a couple years under his belt now. He is, you know, really the top dog. Um, I expect him to have a big season. Tavion, you know, showed showed flashes of greatness last year. And then, you know, behind, behind those two, you know, you've got Caleb Smith, who walk-on turn scholarship athlete, you know, only had nine catches last year, but but looked like he could make some plays. Looks like a pretty solid route runner. Um, there's 17 receivers on the roster right now. Jeez. And 12 are underclassmen. Two of the upperclassmen are transfers. One, Evan Ferris from Kansas, who in 2017 had 24 catches for 335. He's only played in six games since then. And then Shang Dahaj, who you mentioned earlier from Villanova, who had a pretty big season last year. So, you know, it, it's tough to uh, tough to know what an FCS player is going to do when they make the jump. I certainly think in today's game, uh, they're more than capable and ready to come in and you know be able to compete at a high level. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily expect them to compete at the same level they were competing week in and week out at the FCS level, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but certainly two guys that I think could be in the mix to to help kind of uh, to bring some of the younger guys up. And then, you know, the guy that I'm really looking forward to, but I'll warn Hokie Nation, I think he's going to be one of the more frustrating players that we'll see handled this year is Jaden Payal. Yeah. And, again, so he came in out of high school as a quarterback – you know, still learning the wide receiver position. You know, Fuente has has mentioned that in the offseason. He's very happy with the development he's made, but still hinting that he's got a lot to learn as a receiver. So I don't know how much we're going to see Payal on the field as an actual receiver. I think we probably see him get two jet sweeps and an end around per game. And that's basically the Jaden Payal experiment in 2020. That is my pessimistic view on that. I hope I'm like dead wrong in the water and he becomes a stud, but that's just kind of my gut as to how we're going to see Payal involved in the offense. But otherwise, I think this is a group probably that I am most concerned about. Um, but it's a group at the end of the season, you know, we could certainly be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I think we will. I'm I'm pretty high on this group. I'm high on, you know, obviously what the quarterbacks can provide them with as far as what they can work with. Um, you know, I think Hendon is, is, is really set him down, really showed himself as a really capable passer last year, obviously. Everybody knows that. 
Um, but Hazleton kind of left us high and dry for a Hazleton-type receiver, um, somebody who can give you some serious looks in the red zone. Um, and, and when it comes to that FCS to FBS jump, it's not something that happens often. But the thing about uh, Shanga in this case, or Shanga, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that, uh, is how productive he was in the red zone. Um, you're talking about a wide receiver who scored 13 touchdowns last year. Uh, the guy knows how to get it across the goal line. And I think that was kind of just one dynamic that really needed bolstering in the wide receiver room. So what a huge pull that was uh, for Justin Fuente. And I think that's going to do wonders for the offense. Uh, you know, somebody who Trey Turner can big play Trey, obviously can kind of be a foil to and work with. Um, and Paiute, as you mentioned, I, I think Jordan or Jaden Paiute is going to be just completely incredible at some point in his Virginia Tech career. I just don't know if it's yet, as you mentioned. I don't know if he's there yet. There may be a lot to learn, but if you're talking about a guy athletically, talk about all the upside in the world. You know, I can't wait to see his combination of size and speed out there. Um, I'm just really excited to see everybody go at it. There's a lot of wild cards, though, as you mentioned. Um, there's not as many maybe known quantities as you would like um, You know, going into the season, but I think if you're talking about a raw talent as far as these wide receivers go, this is one of the better rooms Tech has had. Um, and again, you mentioned, I mentioned in the beginning of the call about how the stars seem to be lining up a bit. Well, you know, this wide receiver room, there's some similarities too uh, with the running back room. And there's, you know, a lot of unknowns. Um, but I think the talent level is extremely high uh, in, in both of these places. So you have to think that given enough time, given the right coaching, uh, that both uh, running back and wide receiver will be stocked with dynamic playmakers um, at the end of the year. And, and I think we'll get there. Um, I think we'll get there. But honestly, the guy I'm most excited to see, I think, just from an unknown standpoint and just because of his production in 2019 is Changa Hodge. Um, talking about a guy, 1,000-yard receiver, 13 touchdowns. Um, you know, and again, go look at that highlight tape. Uh, you know, when it comes to that jump, just remember that, you know, going from the FCS to the FBS may be hard. Guarantee it is. Um, but he's also should be, in theory, having a, a better ball thrown to him as now he's going to have a an FBS quarterback throwing to him. So, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do, but I'm high on this group as a whole. Um, and, you know, it's going to be really important, though, for Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson to do what they do um, and be those known quality, quantities and step up when the team needs them um, because they're going to you know be looked to to set the tone for the rest of these guys. Yeah, so you know, it's I bet that's not the uh, only FCS transfer you're gonna be, uh, you know, expecting a lot out of. So <laughs> no. there's there's it seems to be a theme for Virginia Tech this year, especially heading closer into the season. So we'll uh, we'll talk about some more later on. You know, one group tight end I think uh, you know will certainly help kind of take the pressure off this receiving core. James Mitchell, I think he's gonna have a big year. Um, you know, he's oh, yeah. really a guy who. You know we're gonna probably see used more as a wide receiver at times than than a tight end, and then Nick Gallo is is a guy who really started to play a lot more towards the end of last season. Uh, you know he got the one start against UVA, and you know you just started seeing him kind of mix into these packages a little bit more. So you know those are the two tight ends. After that, it's it's really a question mark about who's gonna step up and you know Wilfred Panay he's, he's in from France, but I'd be shocked if he touches the field this year um you know there, there's some other guys who have had some injury issues I think the other question for me is who's going to take over the Dalton Keene role on this offense because yeah. Keene was a tight end you know listed as a tight end but he didn't really play tight end a whole lot 
he was an H-back, and he was all over the field. So uh, that seems to be an important element of this offense. You know, Sam Rogers played it well. Then Dalton Keene kind of took the reins. Who is going to take that role uh, going forward? So I think that is is something to kind of look out for. But, you know, James Mitchell, I think there's a good chance he may lead the team in receiving this year. Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, James is, is what, a, what a freaking talent he is. Um, you know, kind of showed it in flashes last year, obviously, uh, ending up with over 300 yards, really good dynamic duo with Dalton King. But the thing about James Mitchell is he's just a guy that checks every box that you would want from a tight end, especially from an athletic standpoint. I mean, he runs like a wide receiver. He's the size of a tight end. Um, he provides and could potentially provide, uh, you know, upwards of 500, 600, 700 yards receiving. I mean, you don't want to put a cap on a guy like that, especially as we get better as, at figuring out how to get the ball to the tight end in this case. I, I think we could even be more effective than we have been, you know, especially given the style of offense we run uh, and getting the ball in his hands. And, and when you talk about dynamic playmakers, I mean, James Mitchell's right up there with one of the most dynamic playmakers on the team, and he's lined up at the tight end slot, which lends itself to incredible options and uh, you know, opportunities for mismatches, especially when you get him on a linebacker. And if you're talking about a foot race between James Mitchell and a linebacker, um, you know, I'm taking James every time. And I'm hopeful that Cornelson will kind of scheme some offensive plays around him more so than maybe we did last year uh, to just take advantage of, of that athleticism and that talent. Um, and if he does, watch out, man. Uh, there's no ceiling on that. Uh, so one positional group that is not lacking depth is the offensive line. And uh, if you know anything about Vance Vice, he loves to plug and play guys and move guys around. So how uh, how we start the season is unlikely to last into the first two minutes of the first quarter of game one. You know, there, there's going to be some guys moved around. So I think, you know, if on paper we're trying to look at this, you know, Christian Darisol and Cedar Smith probably hold down the left side of the line. Uh, Brock Hoffman seems like a pretty surefire bet to be the center. Already a fan favorite. Can't wait to see that guy on the field and absolutely just lighting up opposing pass rushers. I know he's uh, he's going to be playing anchor this year. And then you've got Doug Nestor, Brian Hudson, Luke Tenuta. Um, so three younger guys all played quite a bit last season. I think Tenuta probably beats out Silas Zanzi for that right tackle position. You've also got, you know, Zakarian Hoyt and Austin Cannon in there. I think those guys are probably backups and then you're looking at Nestor and Hudson and Tenuta to kind of swap around quite a bit uh, on the right side of that line. So, you know, I think it's going to be an interesting group. It's a young group, you know, all reports are that Nestor and Hudson have gone from boys to men as far as like, you know, body types. Um, so they're they're big and burly now, ready to go, ready to uh, to chalk it up and on the interiors. So you know, it's it's a group I'm really looking forward to this season um, and watching them develop. Hopefully, uh, we can we can add some more depth to this group on the recruiting trail. But um, yeah, I think I think you should expect some pretty big things out of this offensive line team and for a team that looks like it wants to run the ball more and be a run first team this is a pretty good group to do it behind yeah you know one of the most frustrating things in football to me um is going into a season and being worried about your offensive line depth thankfully this is not a problem this year but it is the worst i mean it's the absolute worst because you're one injury away from everything on the offensive side of the ball unraveling um you know your team typically 
And I see typically goes as your offensive lines goes. Now, UVA, absolutely terrible offensive line, decent year last year. Um, you know, as you know, Coastal Division champions uh, went on to get trounced by Clemson in the ACC championship game. But terrible off- offensive line, decent football. Um, typically, you don't but see had that. The, had the playmaker to, to make up for it. Exactly, exactly. They had the right quarterback for the right time. Um, however, that is most times not the case. Um, and you want to see, obviously, a strong offensive line. We want to get this run game going. We want to keep Hendon on his feet. We're going to need an offensive line that's that's got some experience, got some talent. And we have both of those in spades. Um, I saw a good tweet this morning at Pete, v, Pete BVT, uh, co-host of the Two Deep Podcast, Virginia Tech Football. Um, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. If you guys aren't following him, you should. He drops stats all the time. And he's not afraid to have an opinion that maybe doesn't go with uh, the norm or isn't the most positive. Glowing at all times. Great follow. Good guy. Um, He said, by his count, VT has 10 offensive linemen who have started games at the FBS level. That's crazy. Um, That level of depth is awesome. No, starting games doesn't necessarily mean you're the most talented, but I think we know by looking at Darisol and company, there's a lot of talent on the offensive line. I mean, you mentioned Hoyt. Hoyt's a guy who I would expect to see starting. Uh, for a majority of the ACC programs, and, and he's sitting you know, on the two deep right now. Um, and there's that kind of depth all over the line. Um, so I'm super, super excited to see what this group can do. And as you mentioned, Vice will have no problem plugging and playing and, and, and messing and tinkering till his heart's content. Um, but this is a group that is built uh, to weather the season and, and built to uh, fight through injury um, and any sort of other issues that may befall them in this wacky COVID season. Um, but I mean, this is the strongest position group for me on the entire team. Yeah, it's certainly up there. And if we jump over to the defensive side of that line, you know, I think we have a pretty strong interior. I think the ends, uh, have a big question mark and, you know, Tawan Garbett, you know, it sounds like he is, uh, out for a family matter. Not really sure, you know, when he's going to be able to, if he's going to be able to play this season, but, um, that's a big loss if he can get back and uh, you know be ready to play. That'll be a big addition to this group. Emmanuel Belmar uh, is the other guy who you know should be locked and loaded as a starter. And then no doubt. Uh, here is another FCS transfer, Tim. And you sent me a photo earlier. Goodness <laughs> gracious, Justice Reed from Youngstown State. Yes. That is a full-grown man. Let me tell you, yes. he had. 17 and a half sacks over his last two full seasons and I think Justice Reed really is kind of the poster child for what Justin Hamilton, Daryl Tapp, and Bill Tierlink want their defensive ends to look like going forward. They're big, they're strong, they're meaty, and they just love to get after the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and I think if 100% uh, right as far as that goes. I think this is kind of your prototypical that's the kind of defensive line recruit you want to start seeing at Virginia Tech under these guys. I think that's the way yeah. they want to go. And, you know, I, I think just with recruiting in general, it feels like we're going after big people, you know. Just we seem to be emphasizing size in a lot of areas of our, you know, recruiting methodology. Like Virginia Tech just got a six foot two, 200-pound running back. You know, it's – it, it seems to be uh, a trend that has kind of taken over the entire team, but specifically that defensive end position. Um, you know, I think, you know, Justice Reed and, and Belmar are the two guys that are going to be starting going into the season. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like Amari Barno is getting some looks there, and he's mm-hmm. a guy who 
hasn't traditionally been a defensive lineman, so he's really kind of learning it. But uh, it seems like somebody uh, Hamilton is is high on and can make a difference. And again, he he's another just beast of a human being. <laughs> um, so we'll probably see him kind of go back and forth between D-line and linebacker. But I think by the end of the year, if we make it there, we'll see him featured as as primarily a defensive lineman if all is going well. The other guy we should watch out for, you know, there's Alec Bryant, Robert Wooten, and Justin Beatles. It sounds like the coaches are very high on Robert Wooten and feel like he is one of the freshmen that is more developed and ready to go right now. So, um Look out for that name. Uh, Wouldn't be surprised to see him get a lot of action. And then on the interior, you know, I think think the the Hokies are pretty strong. You've got the two seniors and Deshaun Crawford and Jared Hewitt. You know, Narelle Pollard and Mario Kendricks had had a pretty solid freshman year. D-tackle, a lot like wide receiver to me, it's really tough to come in as a freshman and make an impact. These guys had a combined... Uh, five sacks and eight tackles for a loss. So they were guys that were consistently getting into the backfield. Um, I'm looking for them to to really start to kind of make uh, you know make their footprint here in Blacksburg. And then another guy turning heads this offseason, Tim, is Josh Fuga. And oh yeah, love the name, love the body type. Six two three zero eight just reminds me of a big old BJ Raji right there in the middle. So. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. Got very little action last year, but this is a group that I'm uh, I'm really excited to see develop over the next few years. Yeah, you know there are guys you can kind of tell when they've come in, put some serious work in in the off season. Fuga is one of those guys. His body uh, when he came in, you know, he looked like a freshman uh, in college, and and he no longer looks like a freshman in college. I mean, that guy's really done some work uh, getting his body right, especially for the position he plays. Uh, so props to him. You know, I'm excited to see what he can bring. Um, I think you mentioned Brian and Wooten. Seen some pictures of those guys. Do not look like freshmen. Uh, so props to them. Clearly, they've been putting in work. And I think that that's kind of exciting for me to see these bigger guys on this defensive line, um, especially under the tutelage uh, of TNT. Uh, I'm excited to see what they can do. You mentioned Barno. I, I think he's going to be perfect for a passing down a uh, pass rusher. I, you need that guy that's just dynamite and electric coming off the edge when you know the quarterback is going to be dropping back and you're dropping backing, dropping back for a pass. That's huge. I think he can give you that. Um, and as you mentioned, you know we're we're going to have some talent there. They're going to have to put it together. Yes, the depth isn't totally proven, and we're going to see it. Need to see a little bit of that out on the field. Um, but I'm I'm just excited, man. I'm really really excited to see what they can do. And and more than anything. You know, and and this is uh, no knock on Charlie Wiles, but I'm excited to see what a coach uh, with the pedigree of Tierlink can bring to that defensive line, what Tap can bring. You know, I'm excited to see all this. This is one of those I think position groups that I'm really really excited about. Um, and I think last year going into the season, I was expecting to be let down by them. I was a little concerned by the talent level on the defensive line, and they ended up proving me wrong last year and playing much better than I expected. So we'll see if they can take that leap from a nice surprise to a consistent, highly performing defensive line. And I, I think the chance is there. Um, but again, another of those, there's a little bit of a, a, a bit of unproven here going on um, that we're going to need to see pan out. And one of those, as you mentioned, is obviously a big FCS to FBS transfer. Um, Justice Reed in that picture looks 
I mean, huge. He looks like one of the biggest defensive ends we've we've maybe had in the program in a really long time. Now, pictures don't tell you everything, but he also had really great production, um, you know, with some high-level coaching there at Youngstown State. Shout out Bo Pelini. Um, we'll see what he can bring, you know. I'm excited to see what these guys can do. Yeah, it's uh, you know the the interior defensive line group was was a surprise last year. Uh, Mario Kendricks was oh yeah, you know just he looked like a, a man among men at points uh, last year. So uh, certainly excited for him, but definitely a group who under this you know TNT uh, you know coaching staff, I'm I'm pretty jacked to see them develop over the next few years. No doubt. Uh, linebackers have to love this group and the anchor <laughs> is of course uh in my opinion the best player on virginia tech's defense at least the most important and that's yeah. rayshard ashby dude's an absolute stud and when i uh think about great virginia tech linebackers in school history ashby is on the list and no uh, will be uh for you know forever basically uh, you add in Dax Hollyfield and Alan Tisdale, you know, those guys are probably gonna, you know, split time back there. You know, the linebackers seem to move around quite a bit as well, but you know, the one thing about Dax is he he really struggled last year. He really looked slow at times, but I felt like he started to come on strong towards the end of the season. So uh we'll we'll look for him to kind of build off of that and then you know, you can add in guys like Keyshawn Artis to the mix. Uh, I'm sure we'll see Amari Barno, like we mentioned in that rotation as well. But I think this is a pretty solid group in the middle. And again, you've you've got Rayshard playing the mic. The guy doesn't miss anything. No, um, you know, and you mentioned arguably, probably the best player on the defense. I mean, for me, Rayshard Ashby is the best player on the team. Um, there's something about middle linebackers who are five ten and shorter. You know, you, you think kind of playing with that Zach Thomas kind of nastiness and that instinct. Um, Rayshard Ashby is there. Zach Thomas, London Fletcher. Yeah, you know, those guys that just have a knack for being around the football and making plays. Um, there's a reason he had almost 120 tackles last year. The guy is always where he needs to be, and that is it's so necessary from the guy in the middle of your defense, especially when it comes to stopping the run game. Can't say enough good things about Rayshard Ashby. You know, if Dax can up his game a little bit, because as you mentioned, Dax struggled at times last year. I think he'd be the first to tell you that. Um, but we know that that Dax has it in his locker to be just as good of a linebacker as Rayshard. And, and he certainly has that ceiling. Um, whether or not he's able to put it together, uh, we'll certainly find out. But, you know, those two make such a great pairing. They play well off each other when they're both on their game. And I say when they're both on their game, Rayshard seems to be always on his game. Um, but then you add Tisdale in who adds a different, you know, dynamic, uh, than Dax does, you know, Tisdale gives you a little bit more, um, I think lateral quickness, uh, can cover more of the field and, you know, that's a nice, uh, a nice player to add into the mix as well. And, you know, it's hard to say, I assume Dax will be starting over Tisdale, but there's certainly a scenario which you see that Tisdale may start over Dax. Um, you know, it's just one of those, those questions who starts next to Rayshard in that linebacking core. Um, but you know, as Hokie fans, we're blessed to be where we are right now with, with Rayshard manning the middle and, and Dax and Tisdale, um, that's a talented room. So, um, you know, strength for the Hokie defense, no doubt. And then that takes us to defensive back. So obviously, you know, losing Caleb Farley, massive blow to the defense, uh, you know, not, not what we wanted to see in 2020. Uh, but you know, I think there's still a lot of talent here that, 
you know, can make us move on and still feel very strong about this unit. You know, Jermaine Waller, he's now the anchor, the boundary corner, if you will, if that position still exists in uh, a Justin Hamilton defense, which I'd imagine it would. Right. Uh, then you've got a Marnie, uh, Armani Chapman, who, you know, you think would be next in line. You, you might see Nadir Thompson, Brian Murray kind of in the mix a little bit. But then here's another FCS newcomer, Devin Taylor. And Taylor is a guy who just got to camp, I mean, probably within a week, right? Right, yeah. And led the Missouri Valley Football Conference last year with 24 passes defended, uh, you know, had a league-high 19 breakups, finished sixth in the FCS in passes defended, and was named to the third-team All-FCS by Phil Steele. So Phil Steele is the guy that does uh, all of these ranking so uh that's pretty that's pretty nice little resume to be bringing to blacksburg again you know big time playmaker at the fcs level again how does that transfer you know there's going to be you know different talent matchups you know maybe some would argue not much of a difference between a lot of these acc teams and the fcs maybe that was a low blow i don't know (laughs) uh we'll see soon enough but he's certainly experienced he has the opportunity to earn his way into a high impact role I don't know if we'll see him starting right away. Now, if the you know season gets delayed another week, maybe we will. But um, you know, we'll see kind of what he brings to the table. But you know, I would think Jermaine Waller and Amrani Chapman go in as the uh, the one and two corners, and then um, you know we'll see what happens after that. And then, of course, over at safety, you know, Devin Hunter finally getting his shot at Rover. Filling in for the departure of Reggie Floyd, and and Floyd is a guy who had a pretty erratic season last year. Yeah, um, didn't really have the season that that we thought he would. Hunter did play quite a bit last year, and again, highly touted recruit. Now it's his time to shine. Hopefully, he's able to take this and run with it. Then, of course, Divine Diablo, who again just kind of a mix mixed bag last year. Um, and then the guy I'm most excited about in the defensive secondary is Shamari Connor <laughs> in that whip nickel back position. He's uh, he's fun to watch. He is, he is. Uh, Shamari will hit you, and, uh, and he's fun to watch. You talk about an aggressive defender, and you love to see it, especially in a Bud Foster defense. Now, obviously moving to Jham. Um, I think what you said about Taylor, obviously spot on. We don't necessarily know what Taylor brings at the moment. Um, but he's got a pretty good case study in what he was able to do at the FCS level. Um, you know, we're talking about a second team All-American at the FCS level. Um, those guys are going on to play pro football. You know, they're all getting invites to camp. Um, you know, what we can expect from him is hard to say. But what we needed was a guy who had proven it at some level, uh, given what we were losing in Caleb Farley. So I think getting him this late in the cycle is just a huge boon. Uh, to that backfield. So I'm really excited to see what he can bring. But, you know, I think you nailed it as far as Chapman uh, and Waller, obviously being the two starters. I think we're, you know, we're good as far as depth goes. Murray flashed a lot last year in Adir Thompson, as you mentioned. Um, You know, a lot of guys that can really stand out, I think, in that cornerback group. And then the safeties are just full of guys that I love, especially Hunter. I mean, it's his time now. Um, You know, highly touted recruit, committed to Fuente early, early on. Um, you know, in his tenure, and and he's a guy that you always want to see get it going. Athletic, can really hit hard. 
Um, and all the reports coming out of camp right now are glowing in regards to him. And that just gets me excited. Um, you know, a guy like him could have had every thought in his head to transfer when it wasn't going his way. He stuck around behind the depth chart with Reggie Floyd. He's stepping up to the plate now. And I know there are certain guys in the team you go in, you really just want it bad for him. He's one of those guys for me. And, and I'm totally totally in his corner and can't wait to see what he's able to bring. Um, But again, another super important position group, another position group with depth and playmakers. Um, And, and, you know, you're starting to look at this from kind of the bird's eye and you're starting to say, Hey, you know, a lot of these position groups seem pretty strong. Yeah. And I mean, Hey, with the, with the FCS guys, like, you know, you kind of hit it, hit it on the head there to be third team, all FCS. That's not, easy to do and you know there's plenty of guys playing d1 ball that couldn't go in at that position and do what he did so I think when you see these guys that come in and they've been playing at a high level or a guy like Justice Reed who you know he's had an interesting track record and ended up at Youngstown State mostly because of injuries like you know there there's a lot of uh there's a lot of will in those players because one they know that they've got a shot at the next step and right here is another way that they can prove their worth and you know they're they're not just a star at a lower level they can do it at the fbs level as well so yeah i mean you're getting guys with chips on their shoulder right i mean you're going down there and getting the hungry guys which we've always built this program around hungry guys not you know i don't want to use the word underdog um but we have never been the top recruiting team in the nation. And we never, you know, perennially speaking, we never were in the top 20. The top, We're about the top 30 usually, um, you know, a little higher than that. But we, we pride ourselves on getting, and especially as coaching staff, no matter how much I don't love the mantra, uh, we pride ourselves on getting those guys that don't mind grabbing that hard hat and going to work. And what better than getting those guys who also have a whole lot to prove? And we've got three guys who have a lot to prove, but at the same time have got a lot on their resume to point at and say, look, I've done it at this level. I've got this talent. And and go out there and you know with a fire in your belly and, and go get it and make some noise. And dude, I'm super excited to see all of them play. Yeah, and I I think, you know, that's that's another tip of the cap to the coaching staff identifying guys Absolutely. to get where just must need guys like what position would our defensive end group be in without justice Reed right now right you know I don't think it's as dire at the defensive back position but you know now it's like okay well at least we were able to add this stud at the FCS level in David right. Taylor so you know if if anything you know it's an insurance policy and the the good thing is we get an additional year of these guys now with the right. new eligibility requirements. So, you know, there there is some extra time to see this play out if uh if they so choose. Right. So, you know, that was uh that was all the positions, Tim. Let's let's dive into our predictions for the season and you know, I know it's this is probably the most impossible to season to ever predict. So I will <laughs> preface this with let's assume all games are played, and there is no major COVID-19 outbreak, meaning, you know, Virginia Tech can't play with its linebackers because they're all sick, you know? I, I think that'll be 
the thing with 2020 is if there is a COVID-19 outbreak and like a positional group is done, well, the entire team's not playing that week, you know? Right. So I think, um, I think the, the former is unlikely to happen, but you know, I think with looking at this schedule and in its current shape, you know, we haven't gotten a lot of love Virginia tech that is from the national writers, you know, Stuart Mandel projected us to go four and six. Um, you know, I think part of it is we don't do a good job of generating good press <laughs> around no. the program. You could say that even again. even when it's on a silver platter. And I bring up the the John Parker Romo scholarship example, and I'm not saying you need to go full fledged Buzz Williams with it and show every waking moment of what's going on in your locker room. But just a little bit of good press here and there to influx social media and just to, you know, build, you know, a good cozy feeling about what's happening at Virginia Tech would be good, especially with what's been going on at Virginia Tech over the last few years. Right. And even if it isn't as dirty as it seems at times, which I'm sure it's not. No, it never is. It's just, it's, it's good press is good. It's, it's good to see good press come from within a locker room. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I don't know if that kind of plays into that national media agenda or whatever, but nobody has Virginia Tech finishing in the top two to play in the ACC championship game. And just as a reminder, no divisions this year, so we're not worried about the Coastal. It is every team for itself, so... You know, the two odds-on favorites are Clemson and Notre Dame to be in that ACC championship game. And what's intriguing is literally anything can happen. You know, the biggest cliche that we hear every single year, but it's it's really never been more true in 2020. So the first half of Virginia Tech's schedule, I really like how it sets up for them. You know, you've got NC State bunch of question marks you know mm-hmm. if, if the Hokies lose to NC State oh my god the sky is gonna be falling <laughs> yeah. like that's gonna be like the Duke loss last year uh, and then yeah you know UVA it's just it's another team a lot of departures most importantly uh no Bryce Perkins I wrote down Bryce Harper in my notes here that that tripped me <laughs> up here um and you know in about 26 days from now I think you and I both fully expect Virginia Tech to securely have the Commonwealth Cup firmly yeah. back in their grasp. Sure. Then you've got, like, Duke. You know, Duke has got Chase Bryce from Clemson, but that's really the only bright spot for Duke this year. Otherwise, I don't see Duke being overly competitive. Really, the only game that I would be concerned about in the first six as seeing, you know, as Virginia Tech could potentially lose is North Carolina. And I'll go ahead and say they lose the game because to say that Virginia Tech is going to go 6-0 and in the first six games, that would be a little bit too optimistic of me right. considering the right. past history of the program exactly. And, exactly. and what we've come to expect here. So if there is a slip-up in that first half of the season, Tim, that's where I would anticipate that it is. You know, I have the right to change my mind as we approach, but that's kind of how I see the first half of the season. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I the if we're talking specifically about the first half, I totally agree. 
Um, NC State, we should beat. Their question marks are unfortunately at the positions you don't want to have question marks at, most notably quarterback. Um, I think NC State is going to be one of the most improved teams in the ACC. Um, But I I don't anticipate them, or they shouldn't give a team like Virginia Tech any trouble. We should be fine with that game. Um, Virginia, obviously, another one of those teams that lost their entire offense in the offseason because their entire offense was Bryce Perkins. However, credit to Mendenhall. He's built a lot of depth on that team, and he's built a hell of a defense. That's going to be a slugfest only because of how well that strength versus strength matchup works out for them. I expect us to win, and we should win. Um, but I think Hokie fans as a whole are maybe being a little too dismissive of UVA just because of Bryce Perkins and what he meant to the team and them no longer having him. Totally understand that story. I've seen it a million times uh, where a big-time quarterback leaves and, and the whole program falls apart. Um, I think where a... they're playing UVA as well this season, you know, we're talking first or second game of the year. I think that also has an impact because yeah. we're not talking about after Thanksgiving, right? So no. you got a new young quarterback in there. You know, maybe he's had time to season up a little bit and be a little bit more effective. You're getting him fresh. And right. so I, I think that is where, you know, for lack of a better example, Virginia Tech fans smell blood. Yeah, it, it certainly could. But, you know, there's two sides to that street. And, it, you know, it also could uh, mean that we aren't as sharp as we would be later in the season. Um, and I totally understand but we've those got the more. Uh, yeah, I, I think the difference there is that we've got a guy coming back who was our starter for majority Absolutely. of the season and Absolutely. we know can play at a high level. So I, right. that's the right. the difference. We should. And, and, you know, it's a good point. But like I said, a strength-on-strength strength matchup, it's hard to predict, especially early in the season, games become even more harder to predict. Duke, as you mentioned, it's Chase Bryce and who else? Um, not to be dismissive, Cutcliffe's great coach. Um, but they're going to have a tough time uh, doing anything with the Hokies, especially I hope we go into that game uh, wanting to take some prizes and really make a statement because that Duke game last year still haunts me. Um, And I'm with you on North Carolina, except that's not the game I think we're going to lose. Um, I don't think 6-0 can really happen, but I refuse to think or entertain the fact that North Carolina is going to beat us and a lot of that is my personal feelings in North Carolina. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of it, too, is the fact that we've got a team that matches up fairly well with North Carolina on paper, strength versus strength again, and that tends to work out, hopefully, in our favor, especially when you consider our defensive backfield versus their dynamic wide receivers, their playmaking quarterback. Um, I don't think that's the game we lose. I know that's a little bit of foreshadowing. But, yes, I am saying that I think Virginia Tech is going to go 6-0, and Given recent history, I should not expect that. I should not set myself up for those expectations. And that hurt that will undoubtedly befall me uh, come September and October. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, looking at the schedule, that's not where I see us slipping up. And, and the other two teams that we didn't mention are Boston College and, and Wake Forest. And, you know, Boston College lost quite a bit. New head coach, uh, Wake Forest, you know, no Jamie Newman. Um, you know, Sage Surratt announced that he's going to focus on the NFL draft. So a couple of big losses there. So, I mean, you know, games that Virginia Tech could theoretically lose, they could lose every game technically. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think in the first six for me, if 
I'm going to assume Virginia Tech loses at one point in the first six weeks. That was kind of my point. I don't know if it's North Carolina or not. That's just who I'm going to say it that say it is right now. But let's go into the second half of the season. And this is starting on Halloween. So you've got Louisville, Liberty, Miami, Pitt, and Clemson. Um, you know, the Hokies could easily win four of those games. They could easily lose four. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really hard to predict that right now in August. And, yeah. you know, I think this is not an easy stretch for the Hokies. And, you know, from what I've seen, people think that the schedule is just a cakewalk. And, no. I mean, just so how, how soon we forget. I mean, you know, Louisville is a team that, you know, we'll see how they are in year two under Satterfield. I, I think they overperformed last season. Um, you know, offensively. I still think they're going to be very strong. Mm-hmm. Defensively, they're probably one of the worst in the ACC, uh, and that's saying a lot. Yeah. So, um, either way, you know, you could expect a slugfest from an offensive standpoint in that game, but you know, you're going to have to control their offensive output. Louisville is going to win games by outscoring their opponents, um, not by limiting how many points their opponents are scoring. So. Um, Liberty, you know, that's a win. I'm not going to even focus on that one. You know, Miami, you know, we'll see, <laughs> you know. Uh, no idea what direction that program is going right now. I would <laughs> I would guess that it's going down. It feels like it's going down to me. Um, you know, the addition of De'Eric King, we'll see yeah. if that works. You know, I didn't really like how the whole De'Eric King at Houston situation went down last season to where – you know, Dana Holgerson was basically just like, yeah, you know, just sit out this year. We're not going to be very good. Uh, come back next year. And then he left. And it's not my issue with him leaving. It's that you just gave up on your team. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem in Miami is it's a culture issue. And I'm not sure that kind of attitude is what Miami needs. Could be wrong. Could be looking into it a little too much. But we'll see. The dude on the field can ball, um, you know. Miami should be pretty strong defensively. They did lose Greg Russo, um, you know, off the top of my head. I'm I'm not sure if they've lost anybody else right now. I know they got Quincy Roche in the offseason from Temple. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. And then Pitt. You know, Pitt is returning a lot of its defense. Um, If you remember, it was very stout defense. Um, If they can put anything together offensively, they're going to be tough. And it's in Pittsburgh, which has not been kind to us. Um, of course, there's no fans in the stands, most likely, but no problem there. They're, they never have any anyway. <laughs> um, and then, of course, you got Clemson at home, so I'm not going to pick the Hokies in that one. I think best-case scenario for the Hokies is to go 3-2 and two in that stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got them finishing 8-3. and three. And 8-3 and three for me is about, you know, I'm not gonna. It's not best case scenario because it's not best case scenario for this team is ten and one, uh, with the loss to Clemson. I think eight and three is about the bottom of what I'm willing to accept, but I think it's probably where they end up. If I'm being yeah. realistic with myself, i i need i I need to see it not happen first before I can actually lie to myself going forward anymore i think if i remember back to last season (laughs) um i think i compared ryan willis to brett Favre at one point and i think i had um us like going like 11 and 1 or something so i'm not gonna fall into that trap this year 
I'm not sure eight and three is good enough to get them into the ACC championship game. Um, but who knows? You know, we'll we'll see. But eight and three is is what I feel com- comfortable at with Virginia Tech in uh, 2020. Yeah, I mean, you have to fight the overconfidence thing all the time. We know how this works, given recent history. Uh, we know where Virginia Tech has struggled and where they've needed to make improvements. And we also know how life as a Virginia Tech fan typically works out. I see Louisville as a loss. Um, you know, I think Louisville is, is just going to be a hard team to contain on the ground. Again, quarterbacks with speed make me nervous. Um, Satterfield, a great coach. That being in Louisville, even though there are no fans, I think that still plays a role. I see that as maybe our first stumble. Liberty, obviously, yeah, you can throw that off. Derek King, probably the best Miami quarterback since question mark. I don't know who you'd plug in there. That's a scary thought. Um, as you said, they've got some culture issues. Manny doesn't seem to know how to handle that, at least in his first year. Obviously, with the way they capped it off and the loss to Louisiana Tech, that doesn't really give you a whole lot of warm fuzzies about Miami. But I do think that that's another stumbling block for Virginia Tech. Um, you know, you don't want to consider it, but I think that quarterback play from Miami is one of the positions where they just were sputtering. And for them to go ahead and get a guy like King. Um, I think that's going to mask a lot of ills that may be going on behind the scenes there, and I do see that as a place where we will stumble as well. Pitt, I think, will be fine. Um, Pitt, I I think, is dealing with some at least one pretty big declaration um, opting out on the defensive line. I want to say the name is escaping me right now. Um, But again, Pitt, hard-nosed defense. They're going to have a good defense. They always will. Um, it's it's their identity. It's it's what they're built around. Um, and so I expect them to obviously be good on defense, but I don't think the offense is good enough to put up a fight. Um, Narduzzi in an empty stadium, though. I just cannot wait to hear the echoes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, like you said, it's you know they've always struggled with the fan support there in Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, they're going to have to rate that TVMA for those echoes, though. Let me tell you, that's going to be some colorful stuff. Uh, colorful stuff, standing on the field with your hands on your hips, cursing and uh, begging for pass interference at the slightest point of contact. Uh, that's going to be fun for everyone involved. Um, and Clemson, I, I think that's another stumbling block. So when I look at the, all of this, to me, as a Virginia Tech fan, um, this team should be a two-loss team, should be a one-loss team in that neighborhood if you look at it as just talent. Um, given the way we've performed with talent uh, to this point and kind of what I've come to expect from maybe this coaching staff, which is not a negative. They can always turn this thing around and prove me wrong, and I hope they will. Um, But I see this as a three-loss schedule to me. So eight and three sounds about right, as you mentioned. Um, A seven and four wouldn't shock me. Yeah, so uh, who who are your losses? So you had them going six and oh. So you've got them Clemson, Mm -hmm. Miami, and Louisville? So I Clemson, Miami, and Louisville, who I see as losses, potentially okay. who I could see us lose to. I mean, people are not going to want to hear this. North Carolina and Virginia both make me nervous. Virginia won. Rivalry game is a great equalizer. First game of the season is a great equalizer. So you're going to be yeah. dealing with a team that is unknown. A lot of unknowns going around Virginia right now. Um, a lot of unknowns around that quarterback position. Um, but there, where there are knowns, there are great knowns, and that is a really damn good defense. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm personally, if uh, if we lost to Virginia, 
you know, you can just go ahead and cancel the season. No, I agree. Know? Look, because I, I agree I with you. Enough, but totally agree. I, I just don't like if if Fuente is has been this excited about 2020 and we lose to an inferior team. And I understand, okay, defensively, they're still going to be strong. I get it. Pitt's strong defensively. We shut them out 28 nothing last year, mm-hmm. you know. Offensively, I, I think Virginia Tech is a team that I see closer to Pitt of last year. And so that's what I expect. You know, I, I think you cannot mask it but for so long. And I think getting Virginia early in the season is beneficial to us. But it is a rivalry game. I understand what you're saying. I'm not I'm not dismissing yeah. no, it. No, no, I understand that. Um, if this but, game uh, was at the end of the year, I would feel much better. Yeah. I would feel much better. This is one of those situations where I think having it early in the year is better for Virginia than it is for us. Um, they're going in as unknowns. It would be a lot better if we knew a little more about them, a little bit yeah. more about the quarterback, a little bit more about what they want to do on offense because this can't be the same offense. And let right. it be known, Bronco is a good head football coach, and he's got a good offensive staff. And what you don't want for a team that's going on through those wholesale changes is no film to study. Now, you have film on what they wanted to do with Bryce Perkins, but you don't have that moving forward with what they want to do in their new era. Who you know How they're going to be effective, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. a good coaching I mean, we'll staff see. that I you mean, think, think may figure it out. And, and that's why I have that worry is because of the placement on the schedule and the fact that it's a rivalry game. Do I expect us to win? Yes. But if you line up UVA, UNC on the calendar and pit, Virginia Tech of the past five years loses one of those games. Oh, and throw Boston College in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's, that's um, what I mean. Those, those Duke. are. The, do I expect those losses? No, but the law of averages right. tells me we will lose one of those games. Oh yeah, no, you there's know what no I mean? doubt. And, and so that's, that, that's, that's why, why my gave, prediction. That's why I gave at least the one loss uh, for two reasons: one, to make me feel better that we wouldn't lose three in the back half of the season. Um, but yeah, it's just it. It to me, it's just like okay. You know, Fuente, this this is the year that, you know, you've been pointing to for years. Right. So what's going to happen? And I think I think this is the year where we judge Fuente. We can really give a full report card on, on what Fuente has, has built here at Virginia Tech. And I'm not saying it's a do-or-die year. No. I don't think you can say that about any program really in 2020. No, I mean, every, uh, every head football coach is safe in 2020. I mean, yeah. if you get fired in 2020, you might as well consider a career change. Well, I think the only reason you get fired is, you know, hey, the buyout that we had to pay you is not as as bad. Right. We wanted to fire you last year type of deal. Yeah. I mean, those buyouts are going to end up saving every coach of an underperforming team because no one is, no athletic department is going to have the cash to just throw at those buyouts unless they rally up all the boosters who may or may not be struggling financially due to economic downturn and say, hey, let's get these guys out. So, no, it's not – I don't even really consider Fuente on the hot seat, if you want to be honest, right now. With what he's done to date, he's safe, COVID or no yeah. COVID. But yeah, as you no, said, as you said, this is the year. So – Well, this, this is, is what the year you to hang your hat on, right? So, right. you know, a successful season for Virginia Tech to me is getting into – the ACC championship game. Right. Now, I cannot say with a clear conscience that it's winning the ACC championship because no, 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 no. you've got such a dominant 
dominant football team at the top of your conference with one of the greatest quarterbacks probably that we'll see go through college and you know potentially into the NFL so you know Clemson is the you know cream of the crop in the conference you know what happens with Notre Dame how good is Notre Dame I'm not I'm not sure yet I'm expecting them to be obviously very good but you know it's uh it's a new change up as well so you know Notre they got Dame three ACC losses be, coming yeah Market. so Market. you know we'll we'll see what happens but uh you know that's our show for today. It sounds like we both got Virginia Tech going eight and three, potentially worse, potentially better. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens. But mm-hmm. next week we have got a full ACC preview for you, and uh, we will run through each team, some of the pros and cons of each, and uh, we'll figure out what exactly we're going to do for that show. But thanks for listening to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. You can listen to our podcast on a number of platforms, really anywhere you listen to a podcast, but Apple Podcasts and Spotify seem to be the favorites. Head over to chowderandgrits.com, Facebook, Twitter, interact with us. We'll talk to you there. Tim, any last words before we sign off? No, it's just good to be back, man. Good to get another one of these on wax, and hopefully, you know, obviously we're going to keep it rolling. Um, A lot went on. I think we both had two cross-state moves and I had a child. You're having a child here shortly. Um, a lot of turbulence. And then you had 2020, which just is just a bundle of surprises. And every day gives us something warm and fuzzy to think about and deal with. So um, just well, thanks for yeah. hanging in there. You I, don't know, know, I, I think that's all it is. Fuzzy, but yeah. No, no, I, definitely full of surprises. Heavy sarcasm. Um, I hope everyone is doing well in the time that we've been gone. I know it's been tough on everybody. So really just wanted to add, thinking about everybody, hope everybody's doing well. And um, yeah, holler at me on Twitter. Yeah, holler. All right, see you guys later.